0: It's time for Running Building the Game, the building
1: game, the game with, with Jason and Friends, for tabletop Building the Jason and friends. It's at the end of the episode, that's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, October 25th, and you're listening to episode 491. As always, I'm your host, Jason. Today, joined by two awesome people. With me today from... The company Turtle Bun, the publishing company. I have Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland. Evan and Hannah, how are we doing today?
0: Good. Hi, Jason.
2: Doing great. Oh.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's great to have you both on. Hannah, you've been here before. on yep. uh, Evan, Evan, um, you uh, have not, uh, but mm-hmm. I've heard a lot about you, and I've seen a lot of <laughs> your games <laughs> through working with Hannah. So yeah, it's a uh, how how have you two been doing?
0: good uh you know we're keeping busy this week because we're a week now less than a week from a kickstarter launch so right right you know
1: yeah yeah that uh that is a magical time if by magical it you is. mean horrible <laughs> 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 for
2: some sweaty days
0: yes. sweaty, sweaty days yeah that's a good way <laughs> of putting it
1: <laughs> yeah and when we will talk more about that kickstarter later the kickstarter actually for the listeners is actually live right now so we're recording this a bit early because well, because uh, these two are busy trying to get stuff done for this Kickstarter and we had a day <laughs> when we could record, so we jumped on it. Um, so I, one of the things I, I wanted to just throw out there really quick, well, uh, first of all, I'd like to say um, TurtleBun.com is is the home of your company. Uh, we've talked on the show before about Mud, uh, which is one of your your newest game, other than uh, Questlandia, which is coming back out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've made some other awesome games like, Questlandia and Warlandia, damn the man, save the music, uh, and a bunch of other um, var- games of varying sizes, uh, which I love. Um, that you all do what you want to do, <laughs> I love that. <laughs>
0: we definitely do what we want to do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a topic, but this actually occurred to me after I clicked record, so I'm just gonna spring this on the two of you. Um, so I'm curious uh in in talking with hannah uh because as the listeners know hannah and i are co-designing something and it's funny because i promised i'd have her on and we'd talk about it and she's on and we're not going to talk about it we're just going to keep
0: kicking that can (laughs) down the road jason
1: (laughs) we are not ready for our kickstarter yet so we are not going to talk about it uh but one of the things that hannah has talked about is that you two you do turtle bun um pretty much full time um doing games and such and I'm curious, you, you two keep um a pretty solid work schedule. Is that something you you mind just talking about a little bit? Would that be yeah, okay? Not at all. Well, awesome.
0: Good, good topic. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's this thing that a lot of people who experienced the past year of the pandemic may have experienced for the first time, which is working from home for some people and trying to sort of keep to a schedule and stay focused at home. And I think for a lot of people, that was a nightmare uh, and really difficult. (laughs) Uh, It's something that we've had a lot of practice with. And I mean, I feel really grateful to have like Evan is a co designer and work partner in this because it's just, we've found over time that, like, whatever that work day looks like, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be nine to five, but just scheduling, like, having a set schedule and regular days is really um, beneficial. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it just, it helps me know what to expect. It also helps me like set boundaries around, you know, people like my mom calling in the middle of the day and asking me if I can go <laughs> to the grocery store for her. Like, I love my mom, but I'm like, ma, I got work. <laughs> I'm <laughs> at work, ma. Uh,
2: yeah. We actually had years where we didn't have that kind of a locked down schedule. And it's actually really hard to keep those pound trees up. Like we just end up constantly having stuff scheduled and trying to fit the work in around those spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, So having something that's regular and locked in is, it's turned out to be the best defense against that kind of scheduling pressure.
1: Right. Right. I think that's, that's fantastic. I mean, I, that's something that, you know, in general, I feel like is problematic when you are, you know working from home for instance right is trying to keep that division of well you know i mean i could be doing stuff around the house cuz i'm at home uh, right. but i really should get this work done but yeah when you're self employed right that is even harder um you know when you know you're working with each other and and essentially kind of for each other right because that's mm-hmm. you know part of the deal when yeah. you when you're running a business together is you're accountable to not just yourself but each other but still it's really easy. Um, it's easy as just one person to kind of let your day wander and do different things. And, and I can only imagine with two of you and two schedules, uh, that just makes it worse, <laughs> even though you've got that cross accountability, it's still, you know, um, and, and I think that you're right in the last you know year and a half, everybody's expectations have gotten kind of really wonky around, what that means, right? For time and things like that. So, so I I applaud you for doing that. I think that's really smart. Um, and it is, it is about protecting that time, right? Like you said, not just for you, but for others. Um, I, I, joke that I found that I, like when I started working for myself, I, I wasted a lot less time, doing random things that were completely unproductive than I did when I had a real job. Like (laughs) I had to go to work every day and somebody like made me do stuff. I feel like I had way more slacking time there than I ever did working for myself. Yeah. Well, we we actually
0: talk about that a lot.
2: (laughs) I mean, my feeling is like with a typical nine to five schedule, Mm-hmm. Those hours are not determined by the idea that like that's the equation for how to get the best work done. Of that's course how many not. hours yeah, we need. Right. Right. It's more about actually the structure itself being the structure, being like you right. are employed, you are our employee. And that's what right. these hours are sending the message of.
1: Yes. And yes.
2: the way that your work fits into those hours, what's well, gonna vary massively by job and but mm-hmm. like When we're designing our own work days, we're, we, you know, the first model we look at is the nine to five and be like, well, that's a classic work day. That's, that means you're working. Mm -hmm. That's full time work. But we spend a lot of time talking about like, what's the difference between the sort of symbolic 40 hour work week and the actual, Like, what is the most productive and useful and healthy way to work in a day? Mm -hmm. And when you're actually working from there, you're not trying to enforce that you're a full-time employee, but you're just like, how can we get the work done the best possible? You end up working from scratch. There isn't really a model for that. It's true. You have to start to just feel it out and try your days out and see, like, when are we getting sleepy? Like, what do we do? If we're fading at 2 p.m. every day, like, Mm -hmm. do we take a break and recoup? Do we call it early? Do we start earlier? Like we had months of sort of tweaking and Mm -hmm. discovering a schedule that works.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely our workday has had like a lot of elements of game design too, as we've sort of tweaked it based right. on what we've play tested it, you yeah. know. Right, right. <laughs> and that's
1: that's you know, that that's absolutely true, right? I mean, the the kind of the corporate structure of you work nine to five is stupid. And um, especially nine to five five days a week, because it just you're like I mean, there've been there's been study after study after study that shows that you do not get good work out of people when they work that way. Um, and, and you're recognizing that by saying at 2 p.m., if we're tired, why are we still trying to push through and do this design uh, when we could take a break or we could do something else productive? Um you know, it's no different than at two p.m. at work when you feel tired that you go get some coffee and then go chat at someone else's desk for forty-five minutes and do nothing, right? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't right. get
0: tired at two p.m.? That's like tired right. time, you know.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when well, I know, like, I've really worked my schedule in the last year and a half around my kids because they were home for a while doing online school, and mm-hmm. now that they're back in school, you know, I, whenever somebody's like, when do you, when do you like to work? I'm like, well, I'm free between nine a.m. and Like anytime in there, I mean, anytime Hannah and I talk about meeting, I'm like, I'm usually free between these two times. And if you catch me a week or two in advance, I can absolutely make any of those times work. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, you know, you kind of work around what works for you. And and I think that's, that's the best because, um, because really you can work too around your um, kind of your internal clock. Right. I know I do Mm -hmm. a lot of work at night because that I'm awake. And everyone else is tired and wants to go to sleep. So I do stuff because yeah. it's quiet. And uh, yeah, no, I think that's I think that's really cool, and I think it's uh, it's important uh, for people to think about that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, and I- I'm curious, I don't, I'm assuming you two kind of do this just by function when you're working. Um, but so Hannah introduced me to this idea of the work party. Um, oh yeah. You- <laughs> which I've never heard of before. Um, but for the way you, I'll tell you how you introduced it to me and then, and we can talk about how you all use that. But the idea was that, you know, Hannah said, let's meet for like an hour. Um, and in this case, we basically were meeting for two hours on a Friday. Uh, we spend the first hour on zoom with our cameras and mics turned off, working on the project we're working on separately. Um, but, which does a couple of things. First of all, it's, it's very motivating to say you are focusing on this project right now. Um, It's an accountability thing, right? Uh, You've set aside time. There's no distractions. But the other thing is that every once in a while, one of us would be like, Hey, uh, can I ask you a question real quick? And then we'd pop on, answer the question and then jump back to work. Um, And that was, it was, it was the closest thing I've had to sitting in a room with another designer and working Other than the quick design trip I took with Kelly and Neil, um, two of my co-design friends, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of working by yourself and, and that actually felt like sitting in a room together working. Um, And it was cool. Like, it was like, wow, this is (laughs) great. Um, So do you all use that? I mean, just kind of by default, because you're, you're sitting together, working on different things or is it always collaboration? Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think it takes, uh, it takes different forms, but definitely we, we do a lot of work parties either. I mean, sometimes we're working in person, sometimes we're mm-hmm. working remotely from each other. And a lot of the work is like, let's set, you know, we also do a lot of Pomodoros, which is like a 25 minute, it's like a way of working in 25 minute increments. Um, and then five minute breaks, I think is the norm with Pomodoros, uh, so, you know, we'll be like, let's let's set a Pomodoro, work for 25 minutes, maybe set another one, check in after that 25 minutes is done, see if we want to keep working. Um, and some of that also came from learning over the years. I mean, we've worked together for so long at this point, like mm-hmm. learning the types of work that was good to do collaboratively and the types of work that we struggled with collaboratively. Like, you know, right now we're in the middle of writing text for, our Kickstarter page and refining it. And we've learned over the years that like, we can't both be like simultaneously <laughs> editing. Like it's just yeah. a disaster. We get <laughs> mad at each other. Um, we start going so,
2: back and forth on like individual words in just, a sentence. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. It just
0: <laughs> Yeah. So we'll do sort of work parties where, you know, we'll pass a draft back and forth. Like I'll work on it for 25 minutes. Maybe I'll check in with Evan being like, is this word? Is this the way you spell this word? Is this a real word? Uh, Then go back to my (laughs) 25 minutes. Uh, Yeah. I love a work party. I don't know. Do you have anything to say about work parties, Evan? I think they're really fun.
2: I think they're great. And I think that they are absolutely just as useful in person as they are for getting that in-person feel to a remote setting. Because... mm, they they're helpful for I guess resisting the urge to collaborate sometimes <laughs> and to just turn everything into a conversation when right, right. sometimes you just need to sit with the work itself and it's actually a little bit of a dodge to turn to the other person in the room and get into a big thing about it. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm gonna put a pin on my questions for just 25 minutes. Then we'll re meet, chat about what's going on, and I'll find out which of those questions were actually something I could answer myself if I just got over the little hurdle. Right. Of, right. Of <laughs> distraction. Of that yeah. instant
1: gratification of asking. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'd also say the opposite of that, too, where, like, you know, with Hannah and I, normally, because we're not physically collaborating, um, and we're you know a thousand miles apart. Like it's easier to like like when we were doing the work party for one of us to chime in and ask a question rather than send a um, Discord chat and then wait mm-hmm. for the other person to reply. Right? Which you know totally. You, you know, Hannah and I, both of us are. Sometimes we're like boom, like on it, and other times it's like a day. Like we like, and that we both do that, right? Um, and so because of that, that instant like. I can just ask you a question is helpful, but I can see why when you're working together every day, it's kind of the opposite of needing to like say, no, we're going to work and then we're going (laughs) to talk. Um, Yeah. yeah, That makes a lot of sense. You know, I I just overall with this, I love the idea that because you've been working together so long, you've developed, you know, like you said, you've kind of play tested this, this co-design game and figured out what works best for the two of you and how you work uh, and avoiding some of the pitfalls um, you know, that, that happen when, you know, for yourself uh, as a worker and then as a, as a coworker for, for someone else, I, I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. Good to, good way to learn about yourself working with other people.
1: <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so thank you for the, the pre-topic discussion there. That was, uh, that was, that's just really interesting to me. I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about co-design in this show because it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, and, you know, a lot of other designers like to co-design as well. So I always love chatting about different ways that people do that. Um, and this this is really interesting to me. So,
0: yeah. Thanks, Jason. Oh, it's yeah. fun. fun to talk
1: about. Yeah. So the next thing we're going to talk about here, the actual that was the pre-topic. This is the topic topic. So the topic topic is uh, we're going to talk about the, the two of you are taking your game Questlandia, which is the first game you published. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's a it's an RPG. And it was the first one you published on your own uh, via Kickstarter. Um, and now you are deciding to do like a revamp of it. Um, and so and we'll, we'll talk about the details of how the game works and stuff uh, during the pitch section of the show. But one of the interesting you know things with that is you're taking something that was done, was published and was out there. Right. So, I mean, it's you know, it's a it's a finished product. Um, and then now you are taking it back out of production and saying, no, we're going to, we're going to change it up. Uh, and I think just speaking from a designer perspective, I mean, I look at the first game I published water balloon washout and I, I, it's a kid's game. I still play it with my kids. Um, the, the listeners have all seen it. So it's this little, little card game. It's lots of fun. Uh, You're having a water balloon fight. And, you know, when I play the game now, even though my kids really enjoy it, there are certain things I just shudder about. Um, I, <laughs> I try to hide certain cards, like quantities of them, <laughs> because the game plays better with better balance when certain cards aren't, there's not the same quantities of them. Yeah, These are just things I've learned as a designer over the years um, from designing lots of other games and working on lots of projects. So, so I definitely see the advantages of doing it. Um, that said... I don't think I'd ever redo water balloon washout and republish it. Cause well, cause it's a lot of work. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm super excited uh, to hear about, you know, how you all came to the decision and kind of what, you know, the steps that go into that. So yeah, that's our setup for that.
0: Yeah. Do you want to start Evan?
2: Sure. So a impetus to return to Questlandia is simply being sold out of it. And it's out of print. It's gone. And we just recently like revamped our website and we're pulling everything together. And we just have this glaring like Questlandia is missing. Questlandia sized hole in your website. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, And so... It came to the point where we have to decide, do we want to just reprint another set of this or not? And making that decision just clashes up against the exact same kind of wincing emotions that you just described (laughs) of the things about this game that feel outdated, that we've been wanting to change. And in a certain sense, a lot of the games we've made since Questlandia have been responses to Questlandia. You know, New Orlandia mm-hmm. came out later and yep. tweaked a whole bunch of things about the rules there. And then Damn the Man came out and tweaked and simplified what was going on with those rules while still building off of them. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, for several years now, we've been working on a like Capital Two sequel to this Capital game. Capital two. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. A, a direct expansion of what Questlandia is. And there's an interesting dynamic between making a proper sequel to something and then looking back and figuring out what should we change about the original if we're going to update it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Because we're not just going to take the original and be like, "Well, let's expand it into everything we could possibly want." That's what the sequel's doing. The sequel has that lane taken,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that, and part of what that did is make us decide that we want to keep Questlandia One as Questlandia One, like mechanically the experience of play we want that to be as true to the original as possible Mm -hmm. and it directed our changes the things that we're wincing about to (laughs) the presentation and to the language and to the accessibility of these rules yeah and well hannah do you want to get into some of the details of what we're looking at changing now
0: yeah. Uh so I mean Questlandia is this game about uh it's a collaborative game. It's GMless. In the game you create like a bizarre fantastical fantasy kingdom. Um you know, not like a European fantasy, like weird, you know, giants walking on the backs of mushroom fantasy uh whatever kind of fantasy you want the game walks you through it Uh, and then you take on the role of a bunch of people in the kingdom who are trying to accomplish a personal goal while something is drastically changing in your society to bring about Mm -hmm. a collapse so it's this moment where there's like a catalyst of like you know moving forward your world will never be the same um what's what are you doing in that moment like are you are you going with the tides of change or are you fighting against them um so that's the premise of the original questlandia and in that you know it's a like it's a weird game the dice are weird the we didn't have an editor on the original so some of what we want to change looking back is just like even if we didn't change a single rule in the game just going into it with years of having seen hundreds of games played, like it's going to be better, even if we just didn't change a single thing. Um, One of the things that we had thought was so cool when we made the original in 2014 was we used this layout where on the left side of the entire book, there's this um, like actual play live play example. On the right side is like the rules of the text, and mm-hmm. the rules are paired with like the the moment in the game when something happens in the actual play is also when the rule is introduced on the right side. Mm-hmm. Um, some people thought it was cool. We thought we were totally clever and brilliant. Other people were like, "I have ADD, and this book is a nightmare. <laughs> like <laughs> this book is unreadable for me. Like it broke my brain." Uh, so we're going to change that because it's a really difficult way of reading a book. And, you know, we'll still make sure we have good actual play examples. But that's, you know, that's like one thing we're looking back. We're like, this right. seemed like a really cool experimental thing at the time. But like reading accessibility is not where to get experimental. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so that's, you know, some of the stuff we're thinking about. Evan, does anything else? I mean, there's there's tons of tons of little things.
2: I mean, we're we're basically doing a full rewrite of the rules, like we're changing every sentence, because we have very different ideas now about what is clear and the order that you need to learn things in, and like where to put the emphasis on a rule. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I would say that's just something really interesting because I feel like I. I was, there's a game that I backed on Kickstarter. I'm not going to mention what it is. Um, so I'm going to say something <laughs> bad about it. But so I, it's a game I backed on Kickstarter several years ago. It was like in the early days of Kickstarter when it was it's called Questlandia. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but, but I want to use this to point out that it has some similar issues, right? Where when I read rules from games from five years ago, 10 years ago, um, I mean, five years ago or Ziffy, 10 years ago is like, woo. Um, other than the fact that you have to ignore the fact that the player is always he, um, like in some dumb stuff like that, like the rules are just less clear. Like we yeah. have gotten really good at writing rules and understanding. Well, I mean, there's still people that are awful at writing rules and there's still companies where you're like, oh, this is going to be too hard to read. But in general, I feel like, um, Partly is as, as Mass Market stepped into the hobby game market too, you you see just a lot clearer, more illustrated rules that just make a lot more sense. Um, and and that, you know, so when I sat down this last weekend, I've never played this game from this Kickstarter and I've always wanted to. It's one of the first ones I backed, and it's it's right up my alley. And I was like, Oh, I gotta play this. And so I sat down to read the rules, and it was just like, this is just I, I don't I don't know. I finally uh, found a video that I can watch um, so that I can learn mm-hmm. the rules to the game because I, I had about half the understanding of how to play the game, but it was just so unclear. And they were doing all the things we do now. They had pictures, they had illustrations, but they just weren't nearly as good and straightforward as they are nowadays uh, in good rule books. And so yeah. I have to imagine that in, in, on the RPG side, it's the exact same thing where, you, like you said, you're just, you're learning oh when we do it this way it's more clear than when we don't and one note by the way on your um on your uh left page right page thing like i when you said that i was like oh my gosh that's genius and then when you said of course people with ADHD and others are like i, I and i realized i could never read that <laughs> It would yeah. be like, ah, ah.
0: <laughs> right? It sounds cool, it like it does, yes. and it sounds like it should link your brain, like, oh yeah, you get to see the actual example, like contextually. But it just was not the way, not the way right. to do that. It
1: feels like mm-hmm. you could just do like, like do one chunk of actual play, like at the end, and then just have like references to that, like see this page for this actual play portion of that, Yeah. <laughs> where it's not hella distracting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Mhm.
1: So so yeah, I I completely agree that one of the innovations over the last several years have been clearer and clearer rules. Uh, and rules that are just written I I think when when they realized that the rules needed to be written to where mass market people could understand them, the way we were writing hobby game rules, uh it was it was like reading a tech manual, right? It was like if you all understand the words and the way we say things in kind of our lingo, it's going to make sense. But if you don't, mm-hmm. Mm, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I cred, I still credit companies with like Prospero Hall and others for really formalizing the way they did it and seeing more companies follow that. I, um, you know, follow kind of those standards in ways, kind of copying off their text and then you know it turns out and maybe there's a company that predates that, but that's the first one I noticed where they were incredibly consistent and really, really easy to follow so yeah that's a side tangent but Mm -hmm. anyways
0: (laughs) yeah no it's a good side tangent i mean just making rules more uh readable and better designed it's like a part of it's it's a part of accessibility in games uh not just in terms of like text accessibility but just in terms of social accessibility like yes it breaks down some of the gatekeeping of uh you know, making things six-point font isn't just about like, oh, well, we got to fit all these rules on the page. Like, it's it's literally like it's posing a challenge to like, well, come on, only if you're hardcore you play this game. And like, that's not, mm-hmm. it's just not the way it's, it's, right, quite, right. it's silly. It's silly.
2: <laughs> There's also like a bit of casualness in the original rules of just sort of throwing in thoughts and ideas that we think are kind of neat. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, I think of the map making rules in the original, where it just sort of throws into the instructions, like, as you put down locations on the map, just, you know, pay close attention to the relative distance that they all are from each other. And like a trusting reader is just going to be like okay okay how far is everything from each other we gotta yeah. like take note yeah it's and, totally right, it was completely
0: irrelevant. <laughs> it we were just thinking about there's
2: Literally. no reason other than just being like i don't know like just put in some spacing <laughs> and it's a yeah. little bit of a betrayal of the the trust that a reader goes in with that they're going to be told important things they're not going to be told unimportant things.
1: Right, right. Yeah, because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, so later it's going to matter. Like, we're going to be doing some measuring or we're going to have to understand right. passage of time and all this stuff. And and it I sounds mean, like, nope, not the case. Like people,
2: somebody reading a rule is, is trying to remember, right?
1: Yeah, right like right. they
2: they're have this task in front of them of like, remember and connect all this stuff together. And that's real effort and – It's easy to just sort of disrespect it a little when you throw in too many things that are an aside or just a whim or even things that can be like kind of nice and flavorful. Like, you know, maybe this is a good time for a snack break. It's like, okay, that's a nice thought, but be careful because now somebody's going to be like, wait, where was that snack break supposed to be at what point (laughs) in the rules? Yeah.
0: yeah it's definitely something we've learned over time that like striking that balance between casualness and like rigidity and mm-hmm. what has to be in there or not you know there's a ton of stuff that we're taking out of questlandia like you know, i feel like we had some like faqs and it's like the faqs were sort of things that we were trying to get ahead of like you almost like playing devil's advocate where you're like, well, what's the world in which somebody would ask this question or need this outlier. And like, just generally just remove it. Like, don't guess, don't make guesses about where people are going to fumble because people are going to read those FAQs then. And they're going to try mm-hmm. to factor in that too. So yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: There's also, if I can say one more thing about rules.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: An interesting decision to make when you're writing down rules is how much you want to answer the question, why? Why is this rule this way? What's it doing? And that's one of those things that there isn't a strict requirement for it, right? You don't have to explain yourself. You can just be like, you just get an extra die, And you're kind of like, trust me on this. It's going to make the game better. (laughs) Because you don't need five
0: pages where you break down the probability and why you came up with that. But sometimes you do. Right.
2: Well, sometimes, though, I feel like for me personally, I'm often guilty of being a little too coy with my whys and just being like, oh, there's something happening with these rules. You'll see when you play. (laughs) And like, there's no reason for that to be a sneaky secret. I can just say like you'll be rolling more and more dice and that's going to make the results impact your kingdom at large more and more Mm -hmm. each turn. Yeah. And like, that might be kind of important. Like there's a little bit of a, like a feeling of otherwise you're, you're sort of, you have these moments in play where you're like, Oh man, we're rolling a lot of dice now. And it's, it's like, I can't even, it's like, I'm not getting any of those results that I used to get if that were changing my character. And it feels like, questionably intentional i almost wonder (laughs) if i'm playing the game wrong
1: right right right
2: so there's a number of calls in the original where i feel like we could be much more straightforward about why it's designed this way and what it's supposed to feel like
1: yeah yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense yeah and speaking of the faq's part it's interesting to me like i FAQs can, you're, you're right, they can be super useful, but they can also just be maddening if if you're like FAQ and then you cite this really obscure rule that sometimes people mess up and you're like, wait, what does that even mean? And then you're like, did I miss something in the rules? And you're trying, you know, to me, FAQs are like, here are things people get wrong consistently or like that are obvious that everyone might get wrong, right? Or, you know, mm-hmm. um yeah there's uh and i i think honestly to me faqs generally should be born out of playtesting right like what do people consistently ask about in the playtest, and what don't they understand that's what we should we should put in the faq section right um if if we even need that and i think some games absolutely don't need that you know so yeah
0: yeah
2: our editor uh joshua yearsley is very is a proponent of just getting rid of FAQs. And uh certainly convinced me that there's like a way you can look at FAQs is just like uh this is uh the places that our rule book fell short. These are the parts <laughs> of our rules that should have been written more clearly.
1: That's that's true. I I I think that one of the things that I find I do in my rules that I I I think falls in that line there, what you're saying, is that I um I, I'll put like it'll be talking about something and then I'll put like in big bold note and then I'll put something. And that is kind of the same thing. It's basically saying like, Hey, people don't always see this. So I'm going to call it out. So you see it. So when you come to this section, that's the first thing you notice if you look back here likely because you've forgotten something. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And the other thing that fixes that with, with your standard board board games is, is cheat sheets. A lot of times of like turn order and yeah. things like that will, will really solve a lot of those issues. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that that's, that's a really good point.
0: Yeah. And we love a cheat sheet for RPGs too. That's been mm-hmm. a, a huge thing is that, you know, for all of our games, cause our games do, it's like, we're not using, uh, apocalypse world or, you know, D20 modern or what you know, we're using this, these weird, uh, Cobbled together dice systems that we feel very attached to, and so mm-hmm. it's very helpful to have reminders right on a sheet, letting people know what they're supposed to be doing.
2: Right, um, right. And that's one of the big things we're adding, actually, in like in a number of ways. Like we're going to be redoing the character sheet to include more rules around like why and when you fill stuff out on that sheet, instead of just being you know the empty spaces. And we're going to be making templates for the map that you make for your kingdom, templates for the dice mechanics of the game that you can Mm -hmm. put down on the table and put your dice on top of, and it just tells you what you're doing.
0: Like, nice. Well, play play mat, kind of like a play mat, but a you play know, mat. yeah, but the one that you can print out on your printer if you have a printer. If you're a millennial, you don't have a printer. A but... <laughs> cheating play mat, yeah,
2: <laughs> play mat for cheaters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: That, and that's something <laughs> I've seen in in a lot of games uh, from different companies where they like to put out play mats as an optional thing. They're like, hey, if you want this play mat, it might make some of the stuff a little easier, but you can play without it. And I, I love playmats and that sort of thing for um, to help with that of mm-hmm. like hey this just makes me be more organized and I know how to put things in the right order and how to how to do it yeah um, right. I think that's incredibly helpful so so okay so I, I think we've covered a, a lot of good reasons why um, to go back to a game um, especially I mean obviously you know, the, the new knowledge you have that you've gained over the years is a, is a big reason to revisit something old. Um, and, uh, and I also think that, um, you know, you know, things like updating rules and stuff like that. And I I loved what you said about the idea of like, would, would we just reprint this game as is, or should we, you know, let's make a new edition, let's make a second edition that is, that is, you know, a little more, uh, with the times and a little, you know, learning from our, from our mistakes in the past. I'm curious though, when you sit down to do this, what are some things that to you to are things to stay away from? Like, Hey, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna redo this, but let's not do X. You know, Are are there things that jump out to you around that?
0: Well, i mean one one answer and i'm not sure if this is what you're getting at but one thing that we've experienced has to do with just the cascade like cascading changes um mm-hmm. you know because we are making the choice to do this as like a, it's like second edition it's almost like calling it a 1.1 edition you know it's something between the the first and second edition like there are changes that I want to make that are really big and sweeping. Um, you know, in the game, every dice roll corresponds to narrative outcomes instead mm-hmm. of like hit points or something. Um, different numbers mean a different narrative thing. And some of those narrative things have been kind of weird and like they don't totally work for me. But to decide to like consolidate roles where three and four mean the same thing now instead of different things, like you're starting to get into like... All right, you know, is this a is this an updated reprint or is at what point is this a new game? Um
1: right, right. And Evan
0: and I have like it's the main place we've had sort of like uh tension, but it's it's like you know, it's playful tension. <laughs> Where I'm like, I wanna change everything. And Evan's like, Well, do you wanna should we print this game this year or like ten years from now? <laughs> um, which is the problem That's that we're fantastic. having with <laughs> You know, when we started, so our podcast Design Doc, which we started, I think, in 2017 to track the design of Questlandia 2 at the beginning of the podcast, which ironically we started in October of 2017 and it's 27 or it's October now. um, We, you know, start by saying we're tracking the year long design of Questlandia 2. It's 2021 now. And like the game is not done. Um, And you know, it's a big game. There's a lot of things we want to do with it, but we don't want this reprint to also be Questlandia too.
2: <laughs> we kind of do. do. Like we, that's that's we the thing do. that we have to resist. <laughs> right? Yes, that's right. we
0: do want. Yeah, we we have to rein ourselves <laughs> in. So that's, I mean, that's something that we're looking for. Is just like reining in those changes, focusing mm-hmm. on clarity and not on fixing everything that's awkward in the game, because like, there's going to be awkward things We're we're kind of owning it. Like this is a right. weird, this is a weird game with some awkward rules. Um,
2: Another, mm, I guess, like sensitive spot in the original game that we've talked about changing and are leaning towards resisting is The boundaries of what kinds of worlds are created at the table. So, you know, it's a world building game. Mm -hmm. At the table, you are deciding what kind of place you want to make. And you're doing that with certain prompts and tables and guidelines. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of freedom. But one thing we talked about is like it explicitly calls what you're creating a kingdom. And when it comes time to meet characters in this kingdom, you consult this table, and up at the top is like a upper crust royalty, monarchs, chieftains. Down Mm -hmm. at the bottom is like workers, peasants. And in between, there's just sort of a whole hierarchy of of Mm -hmm. roles in a society. And so we're looking at that being like, this is quite a limitation to impose. Actually, you are always ending up with a hierarchical society. Mm. You're always mm-hmm. having different classes of people with different levels of power, um, and it's just sort of quietly in there. You know, it uses the word kingdom, but it never. This is another place where the why doesn't appear in the book. It's just, just how it is. That's just what the <laughs> tables like. That's how you. you know, those are the people you end up with. And so when we came back to it, our question is like, is that right? Do we need to mix that up? Can we make the system support a different kind of society? Um, and in talking about it, the point of Questlandia is not to be as free form as possible and let you make any world you can imagine. The point of Questlandia is to look at a society in crisis Mm -hmm. that's on the verge of collapse. Right. And how people in different roles in that society are individually grappling with a change that's too big for them to directly impact. Mm -hmm. And the kingdoms, the hierarchies, actually really serve that and give it a certain texture and flavor of like, there's a power structure and it's going to be imbalanced because this whole society is imbalanced. And there's going to be people who feel very distant from the decisions of their society and people who feel close, but mechanically, the game treats them the same in terms of their capacity to actually change their society. And that's an interesting message.
1: It
2: is. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: yeah,
2: and just sort of like wiping it clean and being like, no, no, no. You can make any kind of society you want. It clears away those flavors as well. It, mm-hmm. it actually changes the nature of what this game is examining and doing.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Thinking we kind of had
2: to be reminded about what this game is about. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That it's not just a sandbox. It's like a tool, a toolbox. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a toolbox for building a certain type of story. And there's a lot of flexibility within right. that, but it does tell like it is important for us to, or to us to be telling this story every time about sort of, uh, you know, worlds, worlds in peril collapsing under, um, uh, usually the greed of the
1: upper class but. <laughs> that works best in a kingdom for sure.
0: It does. Yeah. Even if that kingdom is made of mushroom people, like it right, still, right. you know, follows that structure. So There's
1: nothing wrong with that. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, that may mean, I mean, essentially what you're describing is scope creep, right. From a project standpoint of like, not letting yourself, you know, yeah. If you're going to make a new game, make a new game. Right. And I, I, I think it's impressive that you two are able to say we're working on this new version of Questlandia. Also, we're working on Questlandia Capital Two uh, because <laughs> because we want that to be different and that's a different vision. I, I think a lot of a lot of creatives would have just mashed those two together and called it good.
0: Um, <laughs> Which that was my idea, but you know, Evan t- <laughs> Evan talked me down. <laughs> All doubt, Jason.
1: I mean, to be fair, Hannah, if this was you and I working on a project, that's probably what would have happened. is <laughs> We would have done it that way because I would have been like, "Let's just make one game." Um, but, yeah. But I one hundred percent see the reason to not do that. So I, I think that's super cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I like you though, Hannah. Would not have had the patience for that. I'd have been like, "Let's, let's just make the sequel, and we can just, you know, yeah, yeah, just do that." Um, excellent, excellent. Well, I would love now if you two would be, would, could give some details about, you know, what I, we've talked a little bit about what Questlandy is, but I would love to hear, you know, like a, a, a real good description of, um, just kind of walking through how the game works, obviously at a higher level, but you know, just to kind of explain it, uh, what people might want to know if they were going to check it out on Kickstarter.
2: <laughs> you You're feel like take... starting Hannah? Do you want me to start? <laughs>
0: sure, sure. I'll, I'll start then. Um, so, you know, I already described the game a little bit, you know, about this game of these uh, weird fantastical kingdoms that you create at the table collapsing under the weight of escalating um, social and environmental pressures. So in the game, everybody takes on the role of a character living in the kingdom you are you know sort of across this um hierarchical stratum <laughs> um you might be like a a peasant the equivalent of a peasant in this society you might be monarchy uh, you are trying to accomplish a personal goal which is going to get harder and harder as your world sort of um stumbles into crisis mm-hmm. uh everybody has three turns in the game And in your turn, the spotlight is on you and it sort of, you know, it follows the arc of kind of you building up to do something big and work towards your goal, working towards it, and then either um, accomplishing it or failing. Um, And the game lets you like, there's no, it it basically lets you decide at the end if you succeeded or failed. Um, And it's about what else happened along the way in scenes you are always rolling dice against an opposition you're rolling dice for the things you want to do the opposition is always rolling more dice than you um mm. so there's mm-hmm. always going to be more negative results than positive positive. and like i'd mentioned before those dice correspond to narrative results so you go into a scene being like i want to um break into the quarters of the lizard king while he's sleeping and steal the key to the chest of plenty that will, I don't know, open up the Pandora's box and incite the revolution. Um, You can often say in the end of the scene, like whether you did that or not, but you're using the dice to learn things like, as a result, did I also destroy a relationship um as a result did i escalate um did i like permanently destroy a location on the map um did i uh add to my you know did i get a boost did i get a hindrance and you get to just sort of use the dice to narrate all these different um narrative results in your scene while your world spirals around you that's uh that's a little bit of a description evan is there anything you want to add
2: yeah i'll add the uh I think that's a great description of like what the sort of storytelling role-playing side of the game is like. And I'll add in some of the world-building details. That's where each game of Questlandia starts. Um, it works pretty well. It's like a two-session game. It's like a world-building session. Mm-hmm. And then a playing out these stories. When we're building the world, you start off with just some random tables that are just saying, what motivates your kingdom? And it might say technology and progress, or it might say war and conquest. And then you're drawing cards from a deck that are giving you a spread of troubles that are besetting this kingdom. It's just a normal deck of playing cards. So the more you get of a given suit, the more you have that trouble troubling you. <laughs> it's uh, it could be civil unrest, it could be a health crisis, it could be resource shortages. And so you get a sense of like, okay, there's this kingdom that wants to do this, but it's having some difficulties. And then the table is opened where all of us just sort of do a collaborative brainstorm of ideas that we want to bring into this society. And so this is a very open-ended part of the game where people are saying like, well, what if they live in trees? Sure. Yeah. We're, we're down with living in trees. And somebody else might say, okay, well, let's like, how about these trees are sentient? There's like a way of talking to the trees and, and like hearing from them. Like, okay. All right. That gives a certain flavor. And as we bounce these ideas around off of each other, it starts to color in like, what does the society's search for that ambition look like? Mm-hmm. And what, are the particulars of this trouble that's hitting them and the goal which i think questlandia does pretty well is to have a society where the details of it and the details of the troubles that are hitting it really reflect the current interests and passions of the people at the table
0: mm-hmm.
2: so It's a world that we can feel invested in. And it has parts of it that really reflect where we're at when we came to this game. And then it maintains that by distributing ownership over aspects of this setting to different players at the table. So I might be in charge of the ancient trees. And from then on for the whole game, anytime we have a question about how do those trees work? what do they say i'm the person who has the first say it still mm. can be collaborative we can still all discuss it but i get to say the first answer and also i have the final say of what's the truth what really is the case
0: interesting yeah and that that came about from um you know i was like i was a relatively new New to role playing games when we made Questlandia. And I was having this experience in a lot of collaborative world building games where, you know, there would be this really free form part at the beginning where people would be like, let's play during the French Revolution and this is going to happen and this and this. And, you know, it would sort of be this runaway train of ideas. And I would still be quietly in the back of the room wanting to say i don't actually know that much about the french revolution
1: i know about um, mushroom, people. You I do? You like mushroom people
0: yeah that's my specialty um and you know finding that there just wasn't space that the game hadn't made space for that pause for um individual players to say what was working for them or not because it just sort of became this excited runaway train of um you know, people who were maybe enthusiastic, but a little bit louder uh, and more confident in their ideas. So a big part of Questlandia has been like distributing that ownership. So it never mm-hmm. becomes that that runaway train where one person is sort of becoming less invested in the fiction because it's gotten away from them.
1: That's genius. Yeah, I love I love that. Um, it's like the anti-quarterbacking rule for a co-op game, right? Yeah. <laughs> <We're like, laughs> yeah. We all have to work together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's on it's on Kickstarter now. As, it will be
0: Yeah. not as
1: we speak, but as you listen, it's on Kickstarter, and um, it is out there under Questlandia. How does that work? Did you do like does it like Questlandia second edition or something?
0: Yeah, so if you search for Questlandia, um, the first one is probably going to come up somewhere, which will be under our old company, Make Big Things. Uh, but this is Questlandia updated and expanded, I think, is the title. And cool. you know, hopefully, Google will work its magic, and that'll come up first while the Kickstarter's running. Right, uh, and that's but- under
1: Turtle Bun. Turtle Bun, right. yes. Uh-huh.
0: Questlandia updated and expanded under Turtle Bun.
1: So yeah, no, I, uh, I will definitely check that out. It's, uh, it's, it's a game that I have heard you talk about before, but never in this much detail. So it was really interesting to hear so much about the game and what's went into it. And I, am really excited to check it out. Thanks
2: Jason. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you too, for, for joining us, uh, this evening or this day. I, I always say evening, <laughs> even when it's like, what keep it consistent
0: matter? for yes. the <laughs> listeners.
1: <laughs> um, But but, you know, thanks for having this chat. This was really interesting. And um, for the listeners, I hope you enjoyed it as well. If you want to get in touch with us, you can, of course, go to buildingthegamepodcast.com There you can find a link to our Discord channel. I highly recommend you join that. Uh, Just a reminder that we do our weekly accountability meetup uh, on every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. EST. Uh, You're welcome to join me. I have a good group of people there that works on design stuff. You can also, uh, of course, email us to buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Call us at 770-TEL-BTG. You can find us, of course, on the Twitter. That's the best place in the world to find us always. That is at PodcastBTG. I am at J A Slingerland. Evan is at, drawn no- at a drawn novel. I got confused with the double A there. <laughs> um, Hannah is at HandBandit, and uh, you can find them both on there. And, of course, you can go to Kickstarter, search for TurtleBun or Questlandia Updated and Expanded. Uh, and check that out. And I encourage you to do so. But until next time, good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> building the game, which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. Building the game. Building the game, which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. Dial seven seven, seven oh tell BTG. Please don't use the email.